I'm going to start a new series, and um, it's going to sort of begin a theme that is going to carry right through to the end of the year. Uh, I've just felt more and more convicted over the last little while, and uh, especially when I took a little bit of a break, a couple of weeks of break from preaching, gives me time to actually think ahead. And um, I just sort of felt really desperately like I just wanted to get back to Jesus. You know, we did the Q&A thing, we did that. And through that, I was just like, I just want to get back to Jesus. Um, and most of us here would have a Jesus story. And if you don't yet, then I, I pray that you do have one soon. Um, and you're very, very welcome to be here with us. Um, but when I think about me and Jesus, um, he's wonderful. He's the saviour. He's friend. He's all of that. But he won't leave me alone. Has anyone ever prayed something like, God, could you just leave me alone for a bit? No. I'm looking at saints that are looking at me like, no, I would never pray an ungodly prayer like that. (laughs) Honestly, I think if you're open to God moving and working in your life at all, at some point, you're going to ask him to back off. (laughs) You know, I have you in every other room of the house, Lord, but not that one. Or... Uh, here's what I really think, especially, you know, when you, and I'm thinking back my own Christian journey and coming to faith as a young man, 21 years of age, it's, it's really tempting to want Jesus to sort you out to the point where you're happy and you feel safe and life feels better, but it's not necessarily where he eventually wants to take you to the point where maybe he's happy. We want to be happy, but we don't always want to be pleasing. And there, there is a difference. And I just found as I began to research and study where I want to go today and where I want to go for the, for the next three weeks, uh, it was so convicting as I looked at Jesus again afresh. And, uh, and that's not easy to do after 36 years of preaching Jesus following Jesus and maybe 32, 33 years of formally preaching Jesus. That's not an easy thing to do, to see it afresh. And I sat down with my Bible last week and I thought, I'm just going to start at the start, just going to start in Matthew's Gospel, start reading. I hit chapter 5. I hit the Sermon on the Mount. Before that, I hit the Beatitudes, which is like the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. And I just stopped in my tracks. And I thought... It's not easy to follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't make it easy on us. I'm not saying it's not good to follow Jesus. It's brilliant. It's what we should all do. But um, if doing life Jesus' way was the sales pitch, not many would come. You know, Jesus is confronting. And what he says is confronting. And it's meant to be confronting because there is a spirit of this age that Jesus is so contrary to that promises us life but actually sucks us dry. And Jesus comes in so counterculturally and speaks to our hearts. And to embrace that, there, become, there is a wrestle. There is a struggle. If at some point you're not wrestling with God until something goes out of joint in your life, then you've never really walked with God. That's what Jacob found. I, I love the story of Jacob wrestles all night 
with the angel of the Lord or a theophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ and wrestles with him. And then the, and he says, I won't let you go till you bless me. And then the angel touches him in his hip socket and his hip goes out of joint and says he walked with a limp from that day forward. And the thought is this, that after wrestling with God, you will walk differently for the rest of your life. And I love that concept. And I just find it here in Jesus, in, uh, in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to start in the Beatitudes, probably get into the Sermon on the Mount. And then, uh, and then we'll be hitting the Christmas season. And we're going to be speaking about the Nativity right up through to Christmas. So it's going to be about nothing but Jesus right till Christmas, at least from me. At least for me, we've got a guest speaker and some other people will speak as well and just probably bring a little bit of variety. But um, uh, I want to go to Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount, as I said, uh, the Beatitudes is kind of like the little intro to that. The easy way to understand it, and that term, Beatitudes, is not a Bible term. It's a, a term that was given in the Latin Vulgate translation uh, and they use this word, uh, it's translated transliterally into English as the Beatitudes. And it's just taken from the Greek meaning of the word blessing. When Jesus said, blessed is the man, blessed is the man, that Greek word, uh, the, the, the translation was basically Beatitudes in English. And, uh, and so it's a bit of a handle in our Bibles. That's, so when I'm talking about the Beatitudes, it's just, it's a handle the church has put on. Several verses of very impacting scripture that Jesus spoke. Uh, and their positioning just right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which we need to understand was probably, and I'll try and give some background of the books and whatnot as we go, but it probably wasn't literally a Sermon on the Mount and it's a collection of Jesus' teachings that the author, Matthew, has put together to help us really get a handle on maybe the essence of Jesus' ministry and life. And he starts it with the Beatitudes, and I think the positioning of these sayings of Jesus before his major teachings on how we are to live and be in the world, they're so critical because they're almost like the context. You won't be able to be and live in the world the way God really created you to, the way Jesus desires you to. You won't be able to do it without these hard attitudes first. Who knows that? Being a Christian, really, authentically, it, it's not about following rules. It's not about doing what you're told. It's about being something different to the spirit of this age. It starts with a hard attitude. It starts as an internal thing that should then work its way to the outside in a different way of living. And if we try and force rules, or this is the way you should act as a Christian, if you're trying to force that from the outside, that's what we call religion. In an, in an ugly sense. There's a beautiful sense of religion. The Bible talks about it as a way of feeding widows and orphans and keeping your life pure. That's a beautiful term, but the ugly term is an enforced set of beliefs, sort of like a spiritual straitjacket. And Jesus was not interested in that. And so we're going to come to the Beatitudes. I'm going to call this series Just Jesus, part one today just Jesus and I want to start in Matthew chapter 4 to set a context for where Jesus actually begins uh, or put inserts these sayings so Matthew chapter 4 uh, verses 23 and 25 
Jesus went throughout Galilee. Actually, just before I begin reading that, Dave, could I have my bottle of water that I is underneath Kylie's foot? There it is. Thank you, Kylie. Thank you, David. Let's thank the team. <clears throat> okay. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all with various, who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralysed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, that's the ten cities, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. And that's the context. Jesus has been really having an incredible season of ministry and people have gathered and are following him. And then that's where Matthew chooses to insert this sort of uh, conglomeration of his major, some of his major teachings. There's five of them in Matthew. There's five groups of Jesus's teachings and Maybe on the other side of Christmas, we might look at some of those. Matthew 5, verse 3 to 12. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And th this is a, a, an incredible passage of Scripture. There's so much in it. I'm going to break it over three weeks because it roughly falls into like nine different thematic statements that Jesus makes. It's interesting to note that uh, even Mahatma Gandhi apparently had built reading Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, into his daily spiritual disciplines. Uh, he had no problem with Jesus Christ. He didn't believe he was the son of God. He had no problem with Jesus Christ. just had a major problem with the way Christians lived. <laughs> and, I, and I figure he's reading this. He's actually reading the formula for how to, uh, how to connect on the inside with God and be a true reflection of God. Just an interesting observation. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, as I start this, I've got to say I'm, I'm kind of in trepidation because so much has been written and said about these portions of Scripture. And I was so tempted to study that and bring that, and I thought, no, I'm just going to bring from a pastoral perspective what I really feel and sense God is doing in my heart. So I hope I do them some justice. Blessed are the poor in spirit... For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That just sounds like so many of these statements. It just doesn't sound right. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. No one wants to be poor in spirit. Like, honestly, let's just be human for a moment and take the saint masks off. No one wants to be lowly. We spend most of our lives doing things, you know, painting things, building things, so that we don't look that, so that we don't give that projection. And of course, spirit. when Jesus says poor in spirit, he is talking about an internal thing. He's talking your spirit, you could say, is your attitude, your spirit, is that which animates you. And, uh, and we identify it. You might know someone where you'd say they're a really generous spirited person or a generous hearted person. You're talking about their spirit. They're a kind hearted person. You're talking about their spirit. You're talking about what actually animates their deepest motives. And Jesus is saying, you're blessed if you're poor right there. What motivates the way you see the world? And poor here is obviously talking about spirituality. It's talking about humility. We could really understand it this way. It's the opposite of arrogant. And none of us like arrogant people, do we? Particularly. None of us want to be that, do we? But whoever finds himself... If you really stop and think about what you just said or what you just did or what, whoever finds himself just a tad arrogant, yeah. all the honest, I love it, plenty of saints, there's so many amens, especially from the front row over here, so many saints in this church that are really, really honest. So it's speaking of a spiritual convi- con- condition of poverty, a spiritual condition of poverty in context really, I mean Jesus as the saviour of the world is saying this, and he's saying it to people, saying, you're blessed. You're blessed if you realise you've got nothing to bring to the table. Spiritually. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. What that word blessing literally means is happy and rich. You're happy and rich if you realise as you stand before God, you have nothing to bring to the table. Jesus said, that's a blessing. Which really, we, I think in our Christian journeys, we spend so much time trying to generate something, don't we? <laughs> and Jesus says, no, 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 when you realise you're totally empty and you've got nothing, you're in a really good place for God to bless you. I love that thought. You could paraphrase it this way. Happy and rich are those who humbly recognise their need for a saviour. For the kingdom of heaven will enter them. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. And, and I'm intentionally not, I don't want to confuse us with kingdom of heaven somewhere else, somewhere. I don't want us to be thinking that. Jesus said we should be praying that the will of the Father is done here on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that heaven, it's not some place that we enter as much as some place that enters us when we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. And really, you are happy and you are rich when you know that you have nothing to offer. You humbly recognise your need for a saviour Because heaven is ready to enter you when you think that way. So, I'm going to pick on some people today. Tim, can I pick on you, Tim? You're just in the front row, so handy. 
Tim, do you believe you need a saviour? You know, like someone beyond yourself to rescue you? I do. I thought you might. But honestly, what Jesus would say, happy and rich are you because of that. Because that dwells in you. Because that motivates you. Because that is your heart of hearts, your spirit. You're blessed. You're blessed. Let's thank Tim for being blessed. (laughs) Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. (sighs) Since when was mourning a blessing? Can we be honest? Some writers, you know, I, I did read one note from a writer that said something. This is about mourning your sinful condition. I thought that is just so narrow, looking through such a narrow perspective of the old step on me God and watch me squirm, I'm just a worm kind of theology. Blessed are those who mourn. And then Jesus really hints at what the blessing is, for you will be comforted. And, and mourning is never a blessing to us. I mean, there's so much pain in our world. And the older you get, the more you get to see of it. I've realised <laughs> as years roll on, it's like, man, it, it can begin to build up. And we all live with these paradoxes, contradictions in our lives, within our, within our own hearts, our struggles, our fears, our frustrations, the things that should have happened, that just didn't happen. The people who died, that just shouldn't have died. That's common to humanity. Blessed are those who mourn in an imperfect world. Things die. From marriages, to dreams, to family and friends. Things die. And then Jesus said, you're blessed because you will be comforted. The Apostle Paul writes this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse chapter 1, and I don't have uh, this, this uh, scripture for you. Trust me, I'll read it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So Jesus is saying, hey, you're happy and blessed. Even when life is at its worst. Because you have access to something, maybe in a way that on a good day you would not access it. Have you ever noticed that? That, you know, on our good days, sometimes it's easy not to even think about God. But on our dark days, if you're a person of faith, you find yourself, I find myself continuously going back to that rock of my salvation. And when my emotions are drifting all over the place and the wind is blowing and the storm is going, I find myself trying to lash myself back to that foundation who is Christ. And I have found found comfort. I have found healing. I have found reassurance. I have found faith. I found fresh vision every time I do. And Jesus said, you're blessed, happy and rich are you when you mourn because you will be comforted. 
by the God of all comfort. It doesn't mean, mean that that grey day is going to get any happier. But you'll come through it with a future and a hope. And I think it also brings in another thought that the world is not the end. You know, resurrection can only take place after death. And, and this is one of the funny things. I, I think for many, many years as evangelical Christians... We just talk about the cross and forgiveness, the cross and forgiveness, the cross and forgiveness, which is awesome. That's where our journey begins. But Jesus actually came for resurrection. It was just as much about Sunday, even more so than about Friday. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the New Testament tells us. God was already happy. But what we needed was life. And some things can only, only live once they've died. And then God breathes on them again and what you thought was gone has come back. And it's richer and it's deeper and it's fuller and it's more powerful than what it ever was. I could paraphrase it this way. Blessed are those who mourn for the love and compassion of God shall be even more real to them. Lisa, can I ask you a question? When you've experienced loss on some level, have you also experienced the grace and provision of God? And you're saying that honestly. You're not just saying it because it's the right Christian answer. No, you are, hey. Then can I just pronounce a blessing on you? Golly, look at your family all around you. You're already blessed, but here we go. That's a blessing. You will be happy and rich because you are comforted by the great comforter. And I think this is what Jesus was, this is our spirit and our heart. There are so many things that people, they get stuck in life. Something happens and it derails them for the rest of their life. Don't be that person. Let Jesus bring resurrection life. Man, if you've still got a breath let Jesus bring resurrection life to you so that you can truly live, not because of external circumstances that make you happy, but because you have the God of comfort living on the inside. And the last, um, last beatitude we'll look at today is blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I honestly think this is one of the hardest things for us to get. Blessed are the meek. Aren't the meek the weak? I mean, honestly, if you think about meekness, it means to be soft, gentle, and submissive. It means that in the Greek too. Soft, gentle, submissive. And it's so different to the push me, shove you spirit of our age. Remember what I said right at the start. There is a spirit of our age that promises life. And this one is, you push, you get what you want, you got rights, you're entitled. That's the spirit of this age. And Jesus is saying, no, there's, there's just a whole different spirit to live by. Blessed are the meek, those who walk softly through the earth, who are gentle, 
submissive. And you really have to question, Jesus, whether this works in our world. I mean, is that not an invitation to be a doormat? Let's be honest. Does that not sound like, well, here I am, just roll right over me. It sounds a little bit like that, so let's have a a quick look at it. I absolutely believe it. There is always something in our world, there's, there's something to cry injustice over. There is always something to be personally affronted by, I've noticed, in every season. We've just come through a season where there was lots of opportunities to be personally affronted. But unless your cries are on behalf of others, you're always at risk of trying to seize your own life, doing the very thing Jesus said not to do. Trying to take the reins yourself. This is my life and I want to live it. How dare you restrict me? (laughs) And Jesus is like, there is just another whole way. And he's writing to first century, the, the writer Matthew. And Jesus was speaking to a first century audience under an occupied, in an occupied territory. He's saying these things which just would not have made sense at all. It's a wonder he did have a zealot amongst his disciples. His head must have been spinning around in circles. Again, remember the remember Peter, right up to the garden, pulls the sword, thinking, we will not be meek. He should have listened more intently to the Sermon on the Mount. We will not be meek. We will seize it. We will make it happen. You will be king. And Jesus is like, that is just not the way the world is meant to work. And I don't know about you, but this stuff makes me really uncomfortable. (laughs) I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. I want to go after it. I want to push people out of my way that get in my way, gently in a Christian sort of a way, but I still want to do it. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Maybe we could look at the meek as those who submit to God's authority and make him Lord. Truly do. That's where the submission is. The submission is unto Christ. You know, early Christian martyrs, they felt that their deaths glorified God. Gee, I hope we never have to go back there. But they felt their deaths glorified God. They were honoured to suffer for his sake and we live in a spirit of the age that is determined to shield us from any pain. Even now, just certain words you can get legal trouble for because you might subjectively offend someone by saying them. And Jesus just said, the meek shall inherit the earth. Maybe we could put it this way. Put an end to self-rule when we put an end to self-rule not talking self-control that's a different thing but to self-rule self-determination and it hits us on a values level Christ followers making decisions based on what they perceive God wants not just what we want that's not comfortable, is it? Come on, honestly, if we really determine, if we really want to follow Jesus in this way, it's not going to be comfortable. 
when we run our decisions through the filter of, Lord, does this honour you, glorify you? Do, do I feel a release that this is okay? Or am I just racing through life and I'm no different to any other pagan out there attracted to whatever glitters? And that's the difference. The meek shall inherit. And the promise attached is, actually, this is all yours already. So a spirit of our age is trying to get us to strive, to accumulate, to bother. And I'm not saying don't use wisdom and build your house. I'm not saying any of that. But there's a difference in spirit and where we come from from it. Are, are, are our hands like holding what we have loosely? And that's from personal spending habits to the way we conduct ourselves in relationships. And it, does, it, it really it grieves me. I know, look, for years we taught a relationship series here in the church on, you know, this is, this is a good way to connect with someone and, uh, and maybe see where it goes and it might even end up in a, a long-term relationship like marriage and we tried to give good instruction and godly and, and you know what? People who sit through that and sit through it and sit through it year after year still decide they see something shiny and just go and Jesus isn't in the decision. And two years later, we're doing marriage counselling. And doing it God's way is no guarantee for any of us. <laughs> it's not. But it's just like, should that not be the first thing? Lord, are you in this? This is a big decision. This is a big decision for me. I mean, I think, honestly, after following Jesus, who you're going to do the rest of your life with is maybe the next biggest decision you'll ever make. Not a bad one to get God involved. But if you don't, if you've got that spirit of the age, I want what I want and I want it now, it will lead you to destruction. Whereas Jesus said, you will inherit everything. If you learn to submit to me. We can paraphrase it this way. Blessed are those who submit themselves to God's rule for they'll inherit the earth or all things. Just surrendering. This is a difficult question to ask. I've got to ask someone that I don't want to embarrass, someone that I know really well, like Dennis Waldridge. Where is he? (laughs) Is he in here? He's not. He's serving. He's probably in the foyer. Okay. Oh, gee, this is a difficult one. David, can I ask you? Yes, I can. David, do you consider God's will and purpose for your life when making important decisions? Yep. And I've seen you do it. That's why you're safe. I've seen you do it. I've seen you. Just surrender yourself to God and trust that he's going to get you where you need to be. And that has been your journey for the last, I don't know, five years at least, I think, that I've been observing it. And what I'd say, mate, is that's a blessing. Jesus would say, that's a blessing. You'll be happy. You'll be rich because the meek shall inherit the earth. So we probably need to ask ourselves some questions. You doing okay? Doing okay? You ready for the next six? I don't know about you, but I mean... I. This is a wrestle for me. 
Even as I'm preaching it, I'm thinking of situations and decisions. I'm thinking, did I, did I try and slip that one past God? And who's ever thought about something and thought God might not be in that and thought I better do it real quick before I get convinced God's not in it? <laughs> I know you sinners because I am one. That's just human. That's why we need a saviour. So here's some questions we could ask ourselves. First one, do I truly recognise my own need for a saviour? Or do I secretly believe I'm the answer to my own problems? You know, often people try and define, define what is a Christian and what is not a Christian. And we've got all kinds of, you know, there's crazy definitions like they go to church or whatever. <laughs> Honestly, I, I think that's the difference right there. There's people who really do believe that they are the solution to their own problems. And there's plenty of those in church. And there's people who truly realise they bring nothing to the table when it comes to spirituality. They just recognise very simply, I have need of a saviour. I think that's the most important question that could ever be asked of a human being. Do you believe you're the answer? You're the solution? Or do you believe you need someone outside of your circumstances? a saviour to rescue you. Another question. Do my responses to loss in this world reflect my belief in resurrection? Do my responses to loss in this world reflect my belief in resurrection or do I act like this world is all there is? And if I miss this opportunity, miss this moment, miss this relationship, miss this whatever insert something in the blank, then life is over for me. Couldn't be further from the truth. Do our responses reflect our belief in resurrection? There is always hope. There is always future. There is always possibility. And lastly, do my reactions to perceived injustices reflect trust that God will prevail in my circumstances. That I am not the great defender of myself. It's noble and honourable to defend others, but, but the moment I defend myself, my motives, I can't trust myself. I can't trust I even know my own heart. And so do I truly, truly believe that God will prevail in my circumstances? And Jesus said, hey... If this is your spirit, you'll be happy. <laughs> you'll be rich. You'll be blessed to live that way, contrary to the spirit of this age and reflecting the one in whose image you're created.